Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I am super excited about today's show. I'll be joined by Chris Brogan, who's author of the brand new book, The Freaks Shall Inherit the Earth. We're going to talk about why people like Chris and I are freaks, how we succeed by being different. We're going to talk about fear and a lot more. So if you are thinking about starting something new in any way, whether it be something at work or something on your own, this is definitely going to be the show for you. It's a little different than our normal show, but I think you're going to love it. I also have a really cool new tool that I want to share with you right now. After untangling a school of anacondas, look what Michael Stelzner found. Okay, so um, if you're a marketer like me, you probably have used Google Alerts and maybe you still use Google Alerts, but the problem with Google Alerts these days is, frankly, it sucks. And the problem is that it maybe returns one entry if you're lucky. And Google Alerts has kind of lost its mojo. And if you're wondering, what the heck is Google Alerts? Well, I'm going to tell you what's really cool about this new tool is it is a Google Alerts replacement. And it's called Talk Walker Alerts. And let me explain what it is. You go to talkwalker.com slash en for English slash alerts. And don't worry, I'll have all the URLs in the show notes. Or you just Google talkwalker alerts. What it allows you to do is it allows you to put in a search query. So for example, I've got one in quotes for social media examiner or company. And then you can choose the different kinds of results. Do you want blogs mentions? Do you want news? Do you want discussions? Do you want everything? Choose your language. How often do you want notifications as it happens, once a day, once a week? Uh, You want everything or do you want just the best stuff? And you put in your email address and boom, you will start getting daily alerts. And this is pretty much exactly what Google Alerts used to be. And I've got one set up for our company name. I've got one set up for my name, Two, two versions of it, Michael Stelzner and Mike Stelzner, because You know, people are going to be possibly mentioning both. You might want to set one up with your domain name. You might even want to set one up with your competition. The cool thing about this is it's totally free. You can set up as many of these things as you want, and it's automatically emailed to you. So this is the perfect replacement, in my mind, for Google Alerts. Be sure to check it out, Talk Walker Alerts. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. With that, let's transition over to today's interview with Chris Brogan. To help simplify your social safari, here's this week's special guest. 
I'm very excited to be joined today again by Chris Brogan. Chris is publisher and CEO of Owner Magazine, co-author of the book, The Impact Equation, and host of the Owner's Mind podcast. His latest book, I'm very excited about it, is called The Freaks Shall Inherit the Earth. Chris, welcome to the show. Couldn't be any more thrilled to be back in your graces, Michael. Well, it's exciting to have you here. And today, Chris and I are going to talk about what it takes to be successful in business. And we're going to talk about freaks a little bit. And Chris, I've got a couple of just comments I want to say before we get into the questions. Um, one phrase that just I hate is, well, that's how we've always done it. <laughs> and, you know, I've always been one of these kind of guys that tries to bust through broken systems that everyone else seems to follow. And if there's anything that I can relate to with your book, it's the fact that people that are uncomfortable with conformity and the way things have always been done, um, quote unquote, are, I guess, freaks. And I guess that classifies me as a freak. And I really resonate with the title of your book. So the question is, what motivated you to write this? And, and who are the freaks? So those are two separate questions. And, and what motivated me to write this is that, uh, very honestly, the first impetus to this book is that my two children, my daughter who's 11 and my boy who is eight, are neither of them suitable for real employment. They're not going to be cubicle farmers somewhere. They're not going to anywhere being like, you know, I can't wait to really help re-release this accounting software. Like it's just not going to happen for them that way. My little boy who's eight is already a bit of a software developer. He's already doing game development and stuff like that and, and just thinks that he's going to you know, really take over the video game industry, which, by the way, already in America is worth more money than the movie industry. So anytime people think, oh, isn't that quaint, video games, just remember that Call of Duty Ghosts had an opening weekend of $1 billion and that no U.S. movie has ever released anywhere near a billion dollars. Or so just think that. about the Angry Birds franchise, right? Right, exactly. Well, and, and the fellow who, you know, started Flappy Bird and decided he was going to, you know, quit because he just couldn't handle all the pressure, the Angry Birds people are starting their own theme park. And so, you know, it's easy to sort of mentally dismiss video games if you're of a certain age, but it's also interesting that my eight-year-old is probably destined to be that. And my daughter's an artist. She's a painter and an artist and a drawing type person. And I just don't see her uh, evolving into someone that says, you know what I would love is a great dark gray cubicle and I'd like to work in it until till 6 p.m. because that would be fun and so I wrote it for them and then as I started the process I really realized that not only is it my story uh, of how I was a freak and how I didn't ever quite fit in but that there's a lot of people who don't really feel like they fit in or don't feel like they want to do what's already come before and that there's this really I really believe there's an economic shift that's so close to happening where for lack of any better term yet, uh, cottage industries are coming back. In a world of Dollar Shave Club, in a world where I just got done talking to this guy, Jake Thompson, who, who has an apparel brand called Compete Every Day, which isn't that different you know, in premise to uh, Life is Good and all these other apparel brands. It's interesting that a lot of people aren't necessarily saying, I really hope IBM hires me. Mm. And I think that's sort of what made the book uh, come to life. Okay, so let's talk about who the freaks are. Um, wh what is a freak? Who is a freak? Talk to me a little bit. 
It, it's a it's a good question that I've been forced to have to answer a few times because, uh, you know, right away there's some negative connotation that people that pick up, you know, from being called that in a negative way. And I guess what I ended up saying was that it would be great that, you know, we could take the word back, not unlike how the gay community decided to take back queer. And that was, you know, that became sort of a word that was okay to them or whatever. So one of the things that uh, I've said about uh, being a freak or whatever is that it, it's not exactly, it's someone who isn't really fitting in, who thinks that fitting in isn't the goal and who thinks that being human is a lot more important than being right and who finds that the labels don't always quite line up and they choose their own adventure. I think more than anything, the people that I want to appeal to, Michael, are those people that have chosen their own adventure and they find their own definition of success. That to me is really who I want to say are the freaks who will inherit this earth. I like the choose your own adventure. It kind of harkens me back to, to these books, you know, when we were kids where you would read and then you would decide which way to go and then you would flip over to another page, you know, and, and then you would keep moving through the books and it would be, you know, different every time you read it. Um, are there any, just so everybody who's listening right now, um, are there any freaks that have been really successful that, you know, people might know? Um, oh, or, you know, endlessly. Uh, but let me quickly tell you one quick thing about choose your own adventure. Uh, those books, those white books with the little red labels around the outside, if you go and find the original ones from the 1980s and you go and you open up the front part where there's blurbs and testimonials, you will find my name saying, I never really read much before these books, but I really love these Choose Your Own Adventure books. <laughs> That's awesome. I love how you work like little aspects of your life into everything that you do. That's really cool, Chris. <laughs> I, well, it, it, it's funny because it's almost like... Uh, you know, Easter eggs on TV shows or something like that. You know, there's a, the show, um, oh my gosh, Arrested Development that evidently has tons and tons of little hidden things that people who push hold on their DVDs or whatever uh, find. And that's kind of how they built the thing. So anyway, uh, so, when it comes to this, your your question was a, was a really good one. Uh, you know, when it comes to this, some of the more successful freaks you might have heard of are these little guys in life like Sir Richard Branson. Uh, who decided his very first business, by the way, before he got a lot more famous, was he was going to start a record company uh, where he sold records and in England. And he had found that if you said to the people who distribute records that you're going to take them overseas to America or something, he found that he could get them for a lot less money. And then he thought, this is brilliant. So if they were, I don't know, say it was eight pounds to buy the record in the UK. He could buy them for five pounds if he was going to sell them overseas. And then he would just sell them in the UK for seven mm. and undercut all the other retailers, which was great until he got caught and the government said, you owe us a lot of money now, you jerk. And his, he had to get bailed out of that problem. But he's since gone on to make 400 or so really successful companies, lives on his, an island of his own creation and uh, is knighted. So I would say he's pretty successful for being a freak. And when I had the opportunity to interview him for uh, a magazine article via Skype, he and I were talking and it, it's just very clear that the man has his own perspective on how life is to be led. So He's probably my biggest business idol, and he's a freak, so it's probably not that hard to aspire to be a freak if you think that's the outcome. So let's dig a little deeper here. Um, clearly, Richard Branson is an example of an excessively successful freak. Um, I believe I'm a freak. I believe you're a freak. Why are some more successful than others? Talk to me a little bit about what stops freaks from essentially getting to where Richard Branson got. So a lot of times 
so, sometimes there's that challenge of sort of being weird for weird's sake. And sometimes you might know people that are acting weird or, or that's sort of their personality because they're looking for a certain level of attention. And it's not really who they are. It's just another affectation that they've created for themselves. And those people are pretty rarely you know, doing it very well for themselves. They're, they're just kind of burning a lot of energy for not a lot of great success. Now, on the other side of it, one of the things that happens with certain freaks is it's, it's you stick really true to the thing that you're passionate about or you stick really true to aspects of your persona that aren't necessarily going to fit the box really nice. And I was just thinking, for instance, of a violin playing a person named Lindsey Sterling. And in no part of modern pop culture should you like violin it's not allowed in music you're and not any cool band doesn't have one except for the rare occasions like say the dave matthews band and whatever and big fans of dave matthews will know who that is and everybody else is like oh yeah there's a guy who plays violin sometimes but Lindsay uh loved her instrument and did a lot of covers of really modern and cool songs and whatever and just really brought her own energy and style to it and she's just doing insanely well she's 2.3 million likes uh on facebook so she's got a huge group of people following and connecting to her and you know she's kind of really putting her own story out there in front and it was one of those deals where she said, you know, this is my instrument and this instrument is my life and I will make it work. So the freaks who are successful are the ones who stay pretty close to who they are, have something to offer and also uh, do something that's helpful to others. And, and entertainment obviously is a little challenging to talk about that way because, you know, the end product is just, you know, a performance. But there are business freaks like you and myself uh, who our job is to be helpful and and I would say that one of the things that's kind of really helped you put things together is that you've done a great deal of uh, effort in making sure that uh, you're helpful in a way that fits all your values and your beliefs and all that. And that, I think that's what allows for some success. Yeah, you know, I've always thought to myself, um, you know, Chris, I even when I was I was I was in student government back when I was at, in college, okay, and I was the president of all the dorms, and they said, well, the president of all the dorms always lives in this building and has their own room, and I said, no, I'm going to be in this building, and I'm going to have a roommate. And they said, you can't do that, and I said, well, why not? I'm the president. I can decide, can't I? And they said, okay. <laughs> you know, and that's just the way I've always operated. It's like, it, it, it. I look at what everyone has done before, and it seems like it seems like so many people just assume, Chris, that the only way to do it is the way that it's always been done. And yes, it's more work to break through these walls and bust down barriers and try new things. But I like to carry a machete and cut new paths. It's That's the freak in me. And I don't understand why others don't see it that way. I guess it's a lot easier to just do what everyone else does. I think so. I, I think that there's a couple reasons to that. And, and one of them, you know, we are humans for some reason really love to find a groove and we we really don't like when there's no you know existing experience around us and I, and I'll tell you here's one way to know that you are or aren't you know set up to be a freak is that you might say um you know, there's a there's a quote by Emerson that says do not go where the road may lead but go where there's no road and leave a trail. I love that. And yeah, see, and you react to it. You're like, yeah. 
and a lot of people are like, oh, that sounds scary. <laughs> and, you know, I will say that even in the courses that I offer and all the other business that I do, uh, I kept saying things like, well, you could sort of just take this and do what you want with it. And that's sort of, imagine it's a grocery store. And what a lot of people are saying to me is, I don't want a grocery store. I want a restaurant. And I don't want Carnegie Deli with like a 20-page deli menu. I want you to say there's really only four things on this menu. Chipotle, and, right? Chipotle, exactly. And, and, and people are, I think it's partly the, the systems around us now, but people want to be, uh, I don't know, packaged a lot more than they ever used to, I think, in, in, in life. And work used to be a, a sort of a four-letter word. Uh, or sorry, jobs used to be kind of a four-letter word, and people would just do work. Right. And now, more often than not, we only think in the unit of measurement as a job. And so I think that, you know, what appeals to you and I is also what scares a lot of other people, which is that idea that there's just kind of an open-ended system. And most people are now starting to say, uh, there's just too much in my life. I'm losing my mind. I need you to calm me down and make it a little easier for me to take it all in. Well, I've always been one of those kind of kids that liked Legos, you know, and mm -hmm. um, what's cool about Legos is obviously they come with instructions, but you can also make something different out of the Lego pieces. And um, I think that a lot of people are scared of not following the instructions and just experimenting a little bit. And I think maybe fear is what's underlying here. So let's explore this a little bit because I know you spoke about this in your book. Um, I want to unpack your fear, Chris. How has fear played into your business and how have you overcome it? Oh, I wouldn't say I've overcome my fear. Uh, I would say that I've marshaled it as best as I can. And, you know, probably my biggest fear in, in the universe, they're, they're tied pretty close together, is letting people down uh, and also making anyone ever feel like they think they're not important. And I, I think that that drives a great deal of my actions. And if you think about it, you know, for instance, you've seen me at a lot of live events. I, I will never be the first person to leave the room. I never hide away in some speaker's room if I can help it because I'm trying desperately to make sure that everyone knows that they're so worth it and that I want to spend time with them. Um, with letting people down, of course. I mean, uh, when you hit your financial valley or something and you're suddenly not bringing in the revenue that you want to bring in, you're like, oh, you know, I have these employees, I've got people, I've got, you know, bills and everything. And I've, I've really got to make sure that this is going to work for everybody. And so, I mean, it, it drives me to work a lot harder than the kind of person who's, you know, just showing up for their nine to fiver. And, and I'm not casting aspersions. I should be really quickly to say, uh, let's do the you know, you must be an entrepreneur for you to have any kind of value. There's a lot of people who just love a day job and I'm not in any way pooping on you. But I would say that it would be really important to know that for those people who don't want that, that you don't have to do that. You can totally choose, you know, this, this other mindset, but that it will always take more work than just showing up and being part of somebody else's story. Do you think fear is one of the things that holds back a lot of people from trying something new? Oh, yeah. I mean, I just got a, I, I got a letter from a guy uh, Sunday who said to me, you know, I think I'm just so afraid to do this, to do that, to do this. And I, and I wrote him back and I said, so what's really going to happen? Let's just talk through it, you and me. And let's pretend you launch the thing you want to launch. And let's pretend that no one even buys it. In fact, he, he said his biggest fear was what if no one noticed? I said, gosh, I would love it if occasionally things I did people didn't notice. Because that would make me feel a lot better than what usually happens, which is it doesn't work and everyone notices. You know, I'm like, uh, I'm like, um, oh my gosh, why did I blank on her name? I'm Hunger Games girl who fell at the Oscars twice now. You know, Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, the poor girl 
fell twice at the Oscars now. She did it uh, last year uh, right afterwards, and she did it this year getting out of her car. I, I'm that. Like, I'm the <laughs> one that will fail in front of a huge, vast audience. Uh, but so we, we talked about it a little more, and he, he just said, you know, I, I don't really know. And I said, well, here's an idea. Why don't you try it and see how it feels to fail? It's way better than trying how it feels to be eaten by a great white shark. <laughs> and gosh. so you might as well give it a go. What does Stephen Pressfield say about fear in the war of art? Oh, my gosh. I, you know, I didn't realize there would be a quiz. Okay, <laughs> I love that so book, let too. me tell you what he says. He says that fear is the indicator to move forward. It's your green light. So when so many of us look at uh, when we're about to jump into something new, when we're about to exercise our art, um, fear is the thing that's, that, that naturally props up. And he said that when you actually acknowledge fear as a sign to move forward instead of a sign to stop, um, that's when you can make a lot of progress. And I've always had this mentality that when fear crops up, I creep forward. And it's kind of a reprogramming. It's almost like selling stocks when they're down instead of buying more. I mean, selling stocks when they're up instead of buying more. It's counterintuitive. You know what I mean? But in the end, what Pressfield talks about in the war of art is a very powerful concept. And I think it does require a lot of us who um, are scared to think about it. You know, um, I have creeped forward so many times. Had I not creeped forward, I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now, Chris. I creep forward. I remember when I first met you at Blog World. <laughs> you know? Okay, there he is. Hey, Chris, can I interview you? <laughs> so anyways, all right. You passed the test, Chris. It's okay. Oh, There's no failing on this one. I want, I want to ask you to share a story. This one you can't fail at, okay? Okay, go. Talk to me about how you started Owner Magazine and how you were okay with not knowing exactly what you were doing. Uh, so I think that Owner Magazine is another of the dumbest ideas I've ever had, which is ask 20 plus really nice people, not in the social media space, but in the business overall space to write with me on a monthly magazine, a digital magazine, and figure out a different model than crappy ads. You know, make it so that every time there's a good ad, it's something that you actually support and care about and, you know, make very important to the buyer. So, the touch points of this that are really difficult is a making sure real lots of people uh, do this you know write the stupid uh, article every month which is like herding a bunch of cats it's <laughs> b finding out that a lot of people have less wordpress skill than you think they do uh which you know whatever it's fine it's not like that's a job requirement and then it's c um figuring out that when you try to start selling this kind of uh, stuff to uh people. And when you try calling up a company and saying, here's how we work is we only work with products that we actually love and we love your product. And, you know, here's, we do sort of cost per action kind of selling instead of, you know, cost per thousand. I always get this, you know, kind of low end marketing manager who's just thinking she wants to go home and watch the Real Housewives or something. And, and she's looking at her Excel spreadsheet saying, I don't understand what thing you said, because it's not on my spreadsheet that my boss gave me to fill in. And that's the dumbest reason ever to start a magazine because, you know, I could produce all day. If you said to me, Chris, quick, write a book right now while we're on this call, I would do it. And it wouldn't be so bad because I always have more ideas than I have time to write. And what is not true is uh, getting 20 plus people to give you their best writing for free on a magazine that, you know, really is a kind of long haul opinion of trying to get good exposure. Well, Chris, you write about in the book about how you and Rob Hatch had a dialogue. 
and you didn't really know a lot about magazines and you just went for it anyways. So, so talk about the concept of not knowing yet still moving. Oh, that's, you know, poor Rob. So this is one of the rare times where I asked him even vaguely beforehand. You know, I asked him, hey, Rob, I'm thinking I want to do this digital magazine. What do you think? And he was like, we don't know anything about magazines. So I was like, great, let's do it. <laughs> and he's done this a bunch with me. Like, we've done this a bunch of times. I've bought domains. I've called him up and said, I just bought a domain. We're going to do this. Uh. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of times it fails. And I said, no, this is even worse, Rob. Like, we're going to really put our eggs in this basket. Like, I dissolved Human Business Works LLC, and we formed Owner Media Group S Corp uh, because I believe so much in this. And, you know, believe me, today when I woke up, I was like, that was a dumb idea. Except I needed a better corporate structure because the LLC wasn't good. But that's too boring to talk about with you. Um, well, what's the, what's the lesson of not knowing? Yeah, I mean, you move forward not even knowing what you were getting into. And there's a lesson there, right? There is a lesson. You know what? Unless you're, I mean, here's the things I don't want you to do. I don't want you to say, I am going to become a surgeon and then don't learn anything. Like, I don't want you to operate on me until you have a lot of knowledge. And I do not want you to fly an airplane with me in it until you really know how to fly a plane. But most other things, I'm going to live. My Uncle Gene, this is a totally true story that no one's ever heard before. Uh, my Uncle Gene got a job being a chef at a private school. And he was made the dessert chef. He had never uh, cooked a Pop-Tart in his life. Oh, my gosh. And he learned, uh, but he was horrible at it. He would make these beautiful-looking products that tasted horrendous. And he was just reading, you know, this is like pre-internet, so he was just finding stuff. So it was a crazy experience, but he did it anyway. And uh, the thing is, uh, you know, what's the benefit of doing it anyways? I guess that's what, you know, uh, I mean, like if if he waited until, if you waited, Chris, and you, you wouldn't have started a lot of things, right? I mean, I guess that's the moral of the story here, right? You're so much better at this. (laughs) Uh, It's okay. I'm just helping you focus a little bit. That's all. What ADD me? What are you talking about? I didn't say that. So no, it's definitely, um, you know what? There's no, there's no benefit. Like you don't win by waiting around. You know what I mean? There's no prize for not doing it. So you might as well give it a go. I'll give you a confession here. Uh, I started mykidsadventures.com knowing nothing about how to have adventures with my kids. Knowing nothing about the parenting space, having no contacts in that space at all. And um, I've still got a long way to go. You know, I mean, as of this recording, we're about uh, nine months into this thing. But I, I, I did it because I have a dream just like you did when you started Owner Magazine, and I'm not willing to let it go. And if I decided to not start that magazine, I just know that someday down the road, I would have regretted it. And going for it is does require a certain kind of mentality, Chris. I mean, um, you know, let me just explore this a little bit with you. Like, how does someone go from idea to go for it? Oh, what a good question. I, I, you know, I think... You and I probably approach this a slightly different way, although it does sound a little more like my style, uh, what you do with My Kids Adventures. You know, you are a big fan of research. I mean, that's your background. I mean, you did a lot of good market research kind of stuff. And I always tend to believe this. I I tend to believe that if you have a fairly solid hunch, um, if you ask a bunch of people, which is how a lot of people research, they're always going to say yes. And the reason they're going to say yes is because they love you. And so you could ask like 400 people, should I start a site for kids? Like, is that a good one? And they'd say, yeah, that sounds great. 
And what you're kind of missing in the questions are, would you ever buy anything that was on a site for kids or anything like that? Like there's no business acumen to the question. And so I, I think instead that another opportunity could be that uh, you check and see, is there anyone else doing anything vaguely like it? And if you, then the crux of the answer to that is if no, ask yourself about 100 questions. Why wouldn't they do something like this? And if you can't think of any good answers, you know, find some good pessimists. But I find if you find anyone vaguely doing anything like it, then don't say, oh, there's already one of these out here. Like, you know, MySpace was doing just fine and they launched, uh, Zuckerberg launched Facebook. It turns out he did a little better job. And so I think that in the end, the, the kind of way to get at it is 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 with less market research and more you know, power towards some kind of a goal. The other thing that you do very well that I don't really do very well is, you know, you kind of set some expectations that it might be reasonable. I tend to have reasonably unreasonable expectations. <laughs> like I'm either going to make a billion dollars or, you know, it, this is never going to work or something. And I, I tend to go like that. Well, I think about people like Michael Hyatt, who we both agree is very successful today and probably arguably not a freak, but he wrote his blog for years before he ever got any traction on the thing. And now the thing has exploded. Um, another thing that I think people can do that are listening right now is they can kind of dabble. I think, and you may not agree with this, Chris, you may be like, just dive in, but you know, I think there's always a lot of our friends have written books after they've written blog posts on somebody else's blog and the thing exploded or written a blog post about an off topic thing on their blog. And all of a sudden every, it exploded. So there's kind of ways you can, you can dabble into a new topic and see if it resonates with your audience. I, what I did for my kids adventures is I showed a two minute video at social media marketing world and people went nuts over the thing. And that was the, that was the justification that I needed to move forward because I knew it struck an emotional chord. And I would imagine when you started owner magazine, you probably noticed that there was a lack of something in the industry and you were going to fill it. Am that's, I wrong? Am that's I, pretty much the deal. I mean, yeah. I had, I had a couple of cranky opinions. One is that I keep looking at other magazines, you know, and I'm friends with uh, Darren Hardy at Success. And uh, well, I mean, it's not like we go to lunch or anything like that, but he and I have talked and done interviews and stuff. And I've written for his editor in chief, Susan, a bunch of times. I'm on their masthead still. I've written a bunch for Entrepreneur until they changed their mind on a couple of weird things. And I'm, I've actually visited Mansueto Digital Ventures, which is where fastcompany.com and inkmagazine.com are all put together and all that. So, I love all the business mags that are out there. I wanted to buy Business Week so badly. Uh, I just didn't have anywhere near the capital to do it. Um, so when they said that magazine was about to shutter, I was like, I, I'll take it over. But so Business Week, out of all those magazines, at least gets a pass because they're pretty much a news source. So their goal is like, I'm going to tell you new things that you can use to think about your business. All those other magazines started to interview all our friends. Like I see Gary Vaynerchuk just go across the cover of all those mags one at a time. Right. And, and that's great, except that Gary's message, Gary's probably unique in this, different than, say, Zuckerberg. So Zuckerberg's been on all their covers too. So is Marissa Mayer. It, it, it's almost like weird to watch him kind of TikTok across you know, each different month. And in all those cases, I just think about people in my town, like this nice lady named Patricia who runs a chocolate shop. And Patricia basically has four sales events every year, if you think about it. She's got Valentine's Day, she's got Easter, she's got Christmas, and she's got Halloween. That's, you know, chocolate shop, right? Yeah. So I think, how is she going to read about what Marissa Mayer thinks about uh, people working after having their kid? 
And how is that going to change her? And I found that most of the business magazines out there aren't really exactly writing how to. They're just writing who kind of articles. And this is a really nice person or this person seems smart. And I decided what I wanted most to do with owner was do kind of how to information about business to help people grow. Because at the end of the day, that's the, I, I hate that phrase at the end of the day. And then I just said it, but at the beginning of the day, at the beginning of the day, ultimately after you go pee, um, what you really <laughs> are thinking about your business every day is how do I grow this in a way that's going to really help everybody. And yeah. that's what I'm there to help. Chris, one of the things that I, I know you're good at, and I think it's, it's who you are, is you're really good at connecting with your audience. And you frankly always have been, you know, you've always been active on Twitter. You're always very good even on podcasts, you know, encouraging people to email you, having the little secret things at the end of the podcast shows. So um, for those that are listening right now that are trying to do their own thing and trying to be different than everyone else, but do want to develop a sense of community or a sense of connection to their audience, what thoughts would you share with them? Well, we are in a social media marketing show. Uh, I have a hashtag called Proud Freak. And by the way, we don't own it exclusively or anything. It's not like anyone owns a hashtag. And so other people have been using that for other reasons in the past. But by all means, drop me a, a tweet and just throw in Proud Freak or Instagram or whatever tool you like, and I'll be trying my best to find it. I mean, that's an easy way to connect with an audience. Gotcha. So, But what you do really well, Chris which I think a lot of people struggle with is you ask for feedback, right? <laughs> you go all out of your, time. you go out of your way in your emails and everything else. And I guess, how do you manage all that? It's a dumb idea. I mean, every Sunday, so my newsletter comes out on Sunday and every Sunday, uh, my kids are like, daddy, let's go do this. And I'm like, hang on. I only have to answer like 900 more emails. I'll be right with you. <laughs> and so, I mean, that part I hadn't really thought through. That was not exactly my smartest thought, but I will say that, um, you know, it's amazing how many people say that, the, why do you give everybody your email address? And I keep saying, well, because everybody's a potential customer. Why wouldn't I help out my potential clients, you know, get some success? Because it just seems like the opposite of sales, marketing, and business. It seems like you're saying the customers, you know, at, you, if your email comes from do not reply at please God don't write back to me.com, <laughs> my guess is that's really telling your would be customer what you think about their feedback. And so I, I really try hard for people to realize that they can reach out. And the other thing is, I just think that it's amazing that in this modern world that we can actually talk to the authors of our books and we can actually connect with, you know, the people who have influenced us in some way. I mean, maybe the Bible is not a good example because I can't write to Paul uh, the way he wrote to those Corinthians all the time while he was in jail. <laughs> but, you know, modern books, I guess I can write to the people who wrote them. Well, you do a great job. And I... I heard a very similar message when I interviewed Ted Rubin a couple episodes back. Um, he's very transparent about, you know, constantly communicating and making a cell phone number out there for everyone. And I don't think anyone who's listening right now should underestimate the value of a connection with somebody. Right, Chris? I mean, it has led to enormous opportunities. That's probably how you get chances to talk to the Richard Bransons of the world and the Disney, you know, CEOs and all this kind of stuff because you are so connected and you invest I mean, what's the payback on something like that? That's just it. I mean, it's it's amazing how many people say to me, "Man, you are so lucky." I love that word, uh, you know. And they say to me, "How come you know this or that or this?" And they will say to me these things that 
I'll, you know, how did you get to interview Bob Iger, who runs Disney? And believe me, I was as surprised as you were that I was in that room. Uh, I was the last interview of the day. Uh, he had launched the Disney Dream, which was their newest boat at the time. Now there's a newer one. And he looked so tired and he was just like, <sighs> and he looks over at me and he's just like, hey. And he's, I could tell his hey was like, hey, I don't even know who you are and I don't know why you're in this room. And I don't even know how deferential I should be to you because I don't know who you are. And I just said, hey, I'm me and blah, blah, blah. And the first thing he says to me, by the way, he says, you know, um, he says, where are you from originally? And I said, Maine originally. He goes, do you know Searsport? And I said, yeah, sure, yeah. He goes, have you ever sailed there? And I'm like, who sails? You know, clearly the guy who runs Disney sails. And I was like, it's the weirdest thing. But yes, I sailed on an 80-something foot old style boat. That's a, a classic boat there. And as I'm about to say the name of it, he goes, oh, the Savina Beale. I know that ship. And I was like, oh, my golly, Bob Iger and I are like, you know, bonding. Connecting. <laughs> and, and it was mind-blowing. And, and that was the same with Branson. The very first question Branson asked me is, are you okay? Is everything good? How can I help you? Are you comfortable? By the way, he was uncomfortable because he had never done a Skype interview. So when people say, how do you get those opportunities? It is always through the net of ridiculous serendipitousness. I told a conference one time that I had a dream that the 1980s band, I mean, they were, they were around since, but they were only popular to anybody in the 80s, the fabulous Thunderbirds. I had a dream I was playing in that band for some reason. <laughs> and so this, this guy in the audience wasn't even there. Uh, you know, he, he just remembered that. He sends me a mail several years later and says, I happen to be friends with the fabulous Thunderbirds, and I know that you're up in Boston somewhere. They're going to be playing in Lowell, Mass. Would you like to meet them? Wow, that's cool. And, and I said, uh, sure, with no idea what would I ever say to them because I don't know much about them, but I did. And I took my daughter and we had a ridiculously fun time and we were backstage and you know, it wasn't like meat. It was more like he said, why don't you just hang out with us? And you know, we finally had to be like, okay, lonely man, we have to go. But it was, <laughs> it was very, I'm joking. He was very, very gracious with his time. And we could have probably like gone home and hung out in his you know, house or something. But um, these things come from that. These things come from connecting and you just never know. And the other thing that I'm sure you have learned and I have learned a million times over is don't ever, ever think that somebody is not important or not good or something like that because you just never know the way the road's going to go. And I once met somebody ridiculously uh, successful in the industry that you and I are both in, uh, and I was nobody, and he treated me like a dog. And then two years later, he needed my help on something because the turn, the tides had turned dramatically. Wow. And I was nothing but sweet to him. And the whole time I was thinking, and you know that I know that you were not nice to me back then. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, folks, um, I'm hoping that you're listening to what Chris is saying. You do not need to follow, um, you know, follow the road less traveled, so to speak. I love that book, by the way. You know, there's no need to necessarily do things the way everyone else does things. And, and those freaks that are successful work extremely hard at it. You know, Chris's success is not a coincidence. He has been working very, very hard and he's willing to take the risk. And now he's written a book to help make your life a lot easier. And I have read portions of the book. I haven't had enough time to read the whole book yet, but I can tell you that it's going to be Chris's big book. And Chris, I would love it if you would share where people can discover more about the book and uh, the book called The Freaks Shall Inherit the Earth and more about you. 
Oh boy. So if you swing by chrisbrogan.com, uh, I'm not usually the kind of guy who promotes the heck out of his book, but I just have this feeling that I really should for this particular one because I don't want anyone to miss the opportunity. And I, 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 it sounds, it's the opposite. I feel horrible. Like my belly just hurts saying that, but go to chrisbrogan.com and I'll have been putting up some excerpts and things like that and show you how to pick it up. And I would love for you to tell me if you like it or not. And, and by the way, like Michael said, just contact me. Anything you want. Drop me an email. Chris at ownermag.com. I'm always happy to help. Chris Brogan, author of The Freaks Shall Inherit the Earth and one of the big freaks to inherit the earth. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to where your road is, is headed, Chris, and I appreciate you coming on today's show. You're a gentleman amongst men, Michael. Thank you. Well, I hope you got a lot out of that interview with Chris Brogan. He is just an all-around really nice guy. I've hung around with him, obviously, in private, and he's exactly the same way as he is on the show. Just an awesome guy who's trying to make a difference in the world, and I think he's doing great work. So please do get his book. I think it's awesome. Um, Also, if there's anything we mentioned in today's show that you missed, please visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 87. That's episode 87, socialmediaexaminer.com slash 87. There you'll find detailed notes of everything we mentioned, including TalkWalker alerts. And you can, of course, leave a comment for me and or Chris. Also, I would love it if you would consider giving our show a review on whatever platform you listen to, whether it be iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud. You can go to socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes or socialmediaexaminer.com slash Stitcher. By giving us a rating and a review, it does allow us to basically rise up in the ranks so that more people can discover the show. And that does benefit us a great deal. This does bring us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back in the driver's seat with you next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.